0: What is happening everyone to episode 192 of your favorite podcast, the Gordy Podcast I'm going to show some hey alongside my co-host of the day, Megan Long. And today we have a listener's QA. You guys have eight fantastic questions that we are going to cover, and I cannot wait to dive in and give you guys the answers you are looking for. As always, Gordaye Podcast brought to you by Revive Summons, brought to you by Raw Summons. She's to Haley at checkout to support your boy. As always, leave us a five-star rating and review. Share us with your friends if you love us. I can't wait to chat. I'll see you inside. All right, you guys. One of my favorite podcasts, and we haven't done one in a while, is the listeners' Q and A, where I'm able to see what you guys want, what do you guys want educated on, what do you want to hear about. And I can just give my thoughts and perspective. Um, as always, none of this is uh, like recommendations or um, like doctor's advice. This is just a guy who is a complete nerd about bodybuilding, sharing his thoughts with you on what should be done for whatever you guys need. So um, let's just let's hop right into it. You ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Alright, question number all one. Alright,
1: question number one. DMP for recomp application, G H SLIN recomp as well or all together?
0: We are jumping in the deep end right away. Just so deep we're talking about recomp- DMP for recomp, talking about growth hormone insulin for recomp, and then we'll talk about all three together. I'll keep this a short, civil, sweet to the point point as I possibly can. Number so one uh, DMP free comp, absolutely fantastic. Like you can run it mini cuts during off season. Um, you can run it prolonged, even in a reverse phase, um, you know, um, dosed out to not really allow much compounding, but more so just um, prevent from, um, you know, accruing body fat too quickly Um, it can also you know have a really good effect on insulin over time Um, and one note about that when people start DMP commonly you'll see like a fasted blood glucose elevate quite a bit Um, this is going to be completely normal until the excess glucose is cleared from your uh, from your body um, which is one of the first functions that DMP um, exhibits this is going to be pretty normal. So there's going to be more glucose circulating because obviously DMP is you know shut down the Krebs cycle, like I'll discuss in a few podcasts, and so that forces glucose to be in constant circulation. Um, this temporarily will raise uh, systemic insulin as well, at least I believe that it will, because it makes sense if glucose is elevated, um, insulin is going to be elevated. Um, but over time, once that DMP really settles in and forces... <clears throat> Um, forces the glycogen, the excess glycogen to all be utilized for energy. And it really starts exhibiting its fat burning effects. Uh, you'll see that number drop down rather significantly, sometimes even 20, 30, 40 points. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind. So, DMP for recomp, um, I like it a lot. How I I wouldn't dose it like in an everyday manner because recomping your physique is dropping body fat and either maintaining muscle so you have a higher lean body mass percentage or accruing muscle. And it's really difficult to accrue new muscle when you're using DMP because you're going to be in a rather depleted state or at least. Um, promoting um, depletion, okay? So something like a, a DMP, a cap of DMP, like every three days or something, that could be really, really, really good. Um, we can use that coinciding with, you know, cardio to get a little extra output. Um, or what we can also use it for is we don't have to add in any cardio. We up your NEAT, um, your, your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, so your daily steps, essentially. Um, it's just a big fancy way of saying that. Um, and so we will up your knee, add in DOP, excess burn from that, uh, get the insulin effects from that, but we're only if we only dose it once every like three days, it's not really going to compound. So like, there's going to be still optimal. Um, muscle protein synthesizing happening. There's going to be some restoration, um, you know, of glycogen within the muscle cell happening, and yeah, I mean, I see, I see fantastic effects on that in my competitors um, in the off season when it's like, man, the the muscle accruals really good, the fat accruals also happening at a rate that I don't want it at, and it's like, man, the if the only thing we do is just is just just take out the extra little bit, the extra little bit of calories there. But if we drop food, the muscle gain might go away. If we drop training, the muscular gain might go might go away. It might go away. I mean, it just might not continue on the linear path that it's on. Um, if we add in cardio, it's going to be a you know uh, more cortisol. Um, that this is something else to recover from. So sometimes you just you'll you'll add in a cap of DMP, which is usually two hundred milligrams. Um, anywhere from 100 to 200 is pretty good. You also be able to keep the muscle gain. Now, um, growth hormone, insulin, um, those two you can use year round. You can recomp on them. You can run insulin through an entire contest prep. Um, realistically, I don't see why you'd want to run insulin. Like once you're real peeled, I don't even I don't see the reason for it uh, because your body's going to be unbelievably um, um, remarkable at partitioning nutrients. So like you're not going to need exogenous um, exogenous insulogenic help. Um, I think you're fine without it. I think the only thing that can really come from that is like bad, not good. Um, I should say bad, like bad cosmetically, um, rather than promote a better cosmetic look. I don't, I don't see what insulin would do that would promote a better cosmetic look. Um, so it's like really be used all the time. Growth hormone, kind of same thing. I mean, growth hormone is kind of a recomp drug. It promotes, um, you know, muscle gain. certain dosages. Um, it promotes fat loss in nearly any dosage. Um, so, I mean, that's... The GH and insulin is pretty easy in terms of recomping. Um, I think, you know, the, the more growth hormone you can run, the better. But, you know, stay on top of what's going on with your insulogenic levels and things of the like. Um, and using all three together, I... To be honest, I wouldn't do that without someone who's unbelievably experienced with this. Can it be done? Yeah, has it been done yet. Yeah. Um, I I there's very 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 few people I would trust on you know DMP and insulin together. Once DMP compounds, um, and you know the with insulin you have to you know obviously keep um, circulating glucose levels somewhat high at least at different parts of the day like around injection times. You can you can go hypo very easily and very 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 fast, and you know it's the the, the timing of those things is very very beneficial. Also, the dosage is uh, made you you need to nail it with that. So I, that's just something I'm not even really going to dive into on the podcast because I don't want people trying it because you're not going to get it right. Like there's 0 percent chance it's done right outside of like extreme help. So what's the next question?
1: what's the deal with everyone wanting to front load orals pros and cons
0: yeah this is a good question so i have a grand total of um if i have 60 guys running peds right now um outside of prep i would say like zero are running are using orals um front loading them like number one i think orals are for prep like, the whole, like, oh, you know, when you hit a plateau, like, add in some D-Bowl, D like, no, just don't, 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 that's stupid.
1: Just don't hit a plateau. Don't, <laughs> don't do that.
0: I mean, recover better, <laughs> eat more, time your nutrients better, use synergistic compounds, like, metformin, growth hormone, insulin, not just focusing on anabolics, there's way too much focus on anabolics. I think front-loading orals sounds really dumb, because all it's really going to do is just, like, like oral steroids are very fast-acting steroids, like that's why they're commonly, um, you you commonly want to use them in the pre workout window, so that its effects can be exhibited during the training session. Like, you know, like for Anavar, for for instance, it's like yeah, an way to time out Anavar is like three dosages a day, um, you know, so that you can make sure that there's never like extreme overlapping. Three dosages a day will mean that about for twenty four hours you'll have an active life, right? Um, and you know, so so with orals is like front loading them just going to add like this cascade of hormonal events that happen in this short window of time um but then after that there's going to be a huge drop off so i i i i don't think it's smart i just orals are really overused um you know the there's one with great benefit that can be used more often than others and that's proviron um it's obviously a very weak anabolic but it's still an anabolic and it definitely still has an anabolic effect and people completely underrate that drug and it's anabolic properties. Uh, no, you're not going to become a mass monster on it, but it's definitely going to enhance other things that you're doing. If it's utilized properly. Um, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to have like Anivar in all the time or Dianabol in all the time or anadrol in all the time. So like, I, I don't think those, I think those things are, um, very overrated. They're very overused, and all it really does is just take off your long term um, organ health, in my opinion, because not many people are really running them the right way either. So, I, oh, orals is not, you do not need, no one ever won a fucking Olympia because they took a lot of orals, and the orals just had this immaculate effect on them. Like, no one won or lost a show because of them. Um, and actually, I'm getting to a point where, deep in contest preps, I'm pulling orals. Um, you know, I'll run them up until one, two weeks out, but then. Um, you know, once I get the the desired result, I'll just pull them out because it's, it's too um, hepatoc- uh, t- hepatoxic on, you know, on the body. I don't want to have any of that. Like, drive down toxicity as much as possible there in the end.
1: All right, next question. How do you know when you've outgrown a coach?
0: Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, like, you need to always, like, you need to constantly assess, um, like, It's the coach's job to make sure that they're never being put in a position to be outgrown, to be honest. And, like, Megan does a really good job of this. It's like constant learning is continual education. Like, when I was coming up, I remember I would talk to people about, like, you know, I want to enhance my knowledge. I want to push my knowledge. I want to X, Y, Z, all of this stuff um, because I don't want anyone to ever outgrow me. Like, I want to be able to serve everyone, you know, who comes to me. And I don't don't want to just, like, not have any even hypothesis on some questions that come my way and things that are like... So assess where you're at right now. So that's where you want to go. Um, Has your coach done that with anybody before? Um, You know, if, if if your coach, if you want to be a national level competitor, but your coach doesn't have any national level competitors, like, yeah, every coach needs a chance, like be able to get there. Um, But, you know, at the same time, you've got to do the best, you know, as an athlete, um, you know, for yourself. And the reality is, Someone who's consistent on the national level, or someone who's coaching at the pro level, they're going to be able to get you there. And coaching at a high level, at the pro level, they're going to be able to get you there much more optimally. Um, you know, than someone who's not. I mean, that's just the kind of nature of the beast. The reality of coaching is you need to have an eye for it, and like above everything else, methods, protocols, everything, you need to have an eye for what fits where, who fits, not just in the division, who fits in what show, who fits in front of what judges. Um, what poses fit these people better what little tiny manipulations fit these people better so it's not just about building a good physique or having cool transformations it's about having an eye for what fits on like the national levels and what fits on the regional levels what fits on the pro levels Um, you know and then beyond that kind of having the audacity to always be 100 and transparent um, you know with your athletes Um, I I think there's a
1: little hack in there too like knowing what the what judge is looking for what
0: absolutely like
1: we know when we go to a show and like it's sandy we know what sandy likes yeah absolutely. When we go to a show we know if it's tyler we know what tyler yeah, likes
0: Tyler likes. yeah we know
1: what's going to get rewarded what yes yeah, is not
0: what becky likes what tamir likes i yep. feel like we know we yep. know all those pretty well now Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really, really important. Um, I feel like Becky
1: and Sandy are like the same.
0: They're pretty similar. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty much,
1: well, Becky's been under Sandy's like. Exactly. Under her wing. Yeah. yeah. So she's
0: kind of come up, you know, watching that. You know, Becky. Becky doesn't like girls extremely fucking hard and overconditioned. Like she's she doesn't a like that big at all. fan
1: of like just the healthy look. Yeah, like, yeah. She wants you to look she like you look walk healthy. around like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. At least in the bikini division. Yeah. Um, and and someone in the wellness division as well. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a good question.
1: Yeah. Next question is a two part. Opi- your opinion. Wellness highly genetic. Do you think Brazil will keep sweeping the U.S. or could PEDs time? PEDs and time level it out?
0: So, Or was it a
1: one-time occurrence, in your opinion?
0: So, this is a good question. You have to understand, Brazil's been doing wellness for 15, 20 years. You know, America's had it for two years.
1: And they take bodybuilding far more seriously than America Yeah, they take it far more
0: seriously. They have a lot more opportunity within their country to, uh, you know, um, obtain guidance and obtain things that will help them kind of get to the next level um it's also it's like a cultural thing you know in brazil it's like having massive you know very impressive glutes is like a it's like a cultural dominance type situation um you know whereas in america it's not really viewed the same Um, and you think
1: about even brazil like they have like nude beaches are the norm like yeah. people just look fucking good not because yeah because they do because at any
0: time <laughs> you can just take your clothes off and be cool walking around like that like exactly. honestly um, <laughs> i think
1: i might um, compete and then it just works
0: yeah yeah so i it's definitely not a one-time occurrence um you know brazil's really 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 far ahead it's like how i look at like um like the WNBA. Right. Like American women have been playing basketball so much longer than all these other countries. And they go play these other countries and they just smoke them because other countries are so far behind and so underdeveloped in terms of their skill, um, in terms of their experience and in terms of, um, you know, the camaraderie within the sport. Uh, it's kind of where wellness is with America right now. But the reality is, is America has a lot of great competitors. Um, there's some good people turning pro. And, you know, I think those people, if they continue to develop, take this really seriously, that they can, um, you know, get to that level. But there's just as many genetically gifted um, Americans as there are Brazilians. It's just Brazilians have been doing, Brazilians been doing this, dude. Like, you're almost born into, like having a a great physique there, or that, you know, that just being expectation, just being extremely healthy. It's just a different lifestyle. It's a vastly different lifestyle. We could definitely use a lot more of that in America because, you know, a lot of, lot of fat people walk around. A lot of fatties. Yeah. Like, and honestly, like (laughs) Like, they, it's bad. It's, I would say we're, we're very unhealthy.
1: One out of every three people.
0: I think that is around the obesity rate. One. Yeah.
1: Man, I would so, even push it to like two.
0: Yeah, so. All right, next question. question. Yeah.
1: Timing of GH for hypertrophy, four to eight IUs along with insulin.
0: Yeah, so I like using, if we can go, so let's use eight IUs because the more GH, the better. Um, so eight IUs, this gives us four, two times a day. So. What if we can hit four pre bed? I love insulin pre bed. Insulin, uh, growth hormone pre bed. It's going to help you so much with your sleep, your recovery, your overall joint tendon repair, everything like that. Um, and the reality is, if we're sleeping better, then we're just becoming a better athlete, period. Um, I actually take my entire daily dose of growth hormone pre bed uh, right now, and it is fucking awesome. Um, so if we can take half that eight and we take it pre bed. And the other four, if we can take it pre-training but inject it intramuscularly, right, not just subcutaneously, remember, this is going to have an effect wherever it goes. So if it's sub-Q, it's going to have a systemic effect. If it's intramuscular, it's going to have a more localized effect. What does growth hormone do? We know that it directly increases IGF. So when it's systemic, it increases IGF a tiny, tiny, tiny amount systemically through the body if it's localized it can really only exert it's not only it, it will mostly exert its effects in that muscle that muscle will have elevated igf response which means more nutrients more blood flow more water and also more opportunity for growth more satellite cells come into it which you know make, make up muscle cells um, you're you're going to have uh, massive pumps at the gym in it uh, which there's, uh, there, there's some sort of sarco... There, there's definitely something to be said about sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. Um, you're going to be pushing that fascia further, which, again, there's something to be said about hypertrophy in terms of pushing that fascia out or fascia expansion. Um, so if we can take growth hormone and we can utilize it pre-training and the muscles we're about to train and then we go just annihilate those muscles, it's probably going to be pretty good, Right localized IGF-1 response. The only thing that happened is good. Um, when I was doing growth hormone um, in my chest and arms before I started PrEP, there was a huge response and they grew a ton. Um, I need to get back to that. I'm just so fucking suck with work. It's a little difficult. To <laughs> I would just miss too many dosages right now. so I'm, I wouldn't be able to be consistent. There's no setup where I could be consistent with it right now.
1: It'd just be a waste of money.
0: But yeah, it, 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 it truly would. Um, so... Yeah, there's a massive effect that can come from that, massive effect, and I believe that's the right way to run growth hormone for hypertrophy.
1: Your honest scientific opinion on reps and reserve, curious to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is a good question from my friend Dom. Uh, Dom Kuzza, a really good coach um, up in the Michigan area. He, he, you know, he grows very well in RIR. He breaches RIR, that's what he does. The number one basis of everything is, what are you doing and are you doing it consistently? If the answer is yes, then you're gonna progress, right? If the answer is no, that you're not going to progress, and so that that can be RIR, that can be training to failure, that can be eating 300 calories over your diet, that can be eating um, or you know doing cardio a certain type of way. Like the reality is, if it's consistent every single day, and you continue making changes, you know to keep stimuli fresh in terms of overloading, not changes to like exercise patterns and protocols and stuff, then you're probably going to progress pretty well. That being said. Um, the reality is when we when we pull down to basic physiology, um, and actually uh, I think Beardsley just published a study on how training, uh, the heavier you can train and the closer proximity to failure you can train, uh, the greater um, chance for hypertrophy to occur is. And it's amazing to me when we see things like that because bodybuilders know this. Every bodybuilder knows this. There's not a single bodybuilder that disagrees with this, right? Right. And like scientists have argued bodybuilders for years and years and years and years. And then the reality is like things come out that prove that this happens all the time. Things come out to prove bodybuilders were right. And science scientists just act like, well, you know, we can change our opinion any fucking time. X Y Z. No, you were dying on that hill. You were dying on a hill and battling everyone saying that we were fucking idiots. (laughs) When the reality is we were just way far ahead of science and bodybuilders will always be ahead of science. Bodybuilders are science experiments. Every single one of us is a science experiment, not just a chemistry experiment, not just a physiology experiment. It's an anatomy. It's a biology. We know that we're changing our genetics that we're going to pass on to future generations and we'll see what that looks like, but it's probably going to mean more muscular, better performing individuals that come from our offspring as well. So that being said, my true opinion on R.I.R., the closer you push the muscle to failure, the more stimulus there's going to be. The more stimulus you generate over time, the more recovery you have to take in order to recovery time you have to take in order to bounce back and regenerate from that stimulus that you achieved during your training session or during whatever the stimulus is from, whether it be dieting, anything like, right? Your body response, what it adapts to. The muscle, and we all know this. Muscles know how much load it's lifting. The muscle knows: Am I able to do this, or am I not able to do this? When I'm not able to do this, I'm going to change because you are asking me to do something I cannot do. And my goal is homeostasis. If my goal is homeostasis, and you continue asking me things that I cannot perform, I have to change in order for me to stay as comfortable as possible. Me, this me being your body, you know, you being your mind. You're forcing it to go to that point, right? So. If we continue pushing things to failure, 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 your body is constantly in an overloaded state of, oh shit, like I responded to where the stimulus was, but now the stimulus is even greater and so I need to respond to that. The reality of this, you can emulate the same response with RIR training, but there's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be a gap between RIR, we left them in the tank. Failure. We emptied the tank, and the reality is most people's position of perceived failure is about three or four reps shy of RIR. Like I'll have new athletes start with me, and they send me a video, and they said it was to failure. They thought it was to failure, and it was not close. It was you know four or five RIR, three RIR, whatever it was in there. We can continue overloading with RIR training. We can likely get more volume with RIR training, but the reality is volume doesn't matter. Volume does not matter at all in hypertrophy or stimuli. The, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters, what stimulus did you place on me directly? Volume is a tool to achieve it. Volume is not an end indicator of it. Does that make sense? So, if we're training to failure, every single set, we're just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And realize what I say every single set, like, dude, we did like, me and AJ just did six sets total take for pull. Me, you, and AJ did, like, six sets total yesterday for legs. Like, we're just, we're just doing six all out, everything you got sets, right? Empty the fucking clip on every single one, then you go home recover. So, I understand this isn't like fucking 10, 15, 20 sets of exercises. If we don't allow that gap between RR and failure, that stimuli gap, to exist, I believe you're going to get way better results. The other reality is... The biggest physiques in the world are all taking their training to a very close proximity to failure. Like, extremely close. That data is pretty insurmountable to me.
1: Besides cycling off, any way to increase SHBG, diet intervention, drugs, etc.?
0: So, sex hormone binding globulin, this SHBG, it's a protein that's produced by the liver. It transports um, hormones like testosterone, um, DHT, uh, estradiol in the blood, and when it it, they're biologically inactive when they're being like when they're being transported through the blood. Um, So SHBG essentially, when it's high, you're gonna have lower levels available to actually become active. When it's low, you're gonna have higher levels available to become um, to when it's when it's high, less can become active. When it's low, more can become active. When it's low, it can it can lead to like um like androgen related issues in men and women um, obviously which women are much more prone to undergoing than men are um, and when it's low you're you know the, the the reality is or when it's high the reality is you're probably going to have you know low conversion of sex hormones in your body um, and men about 45 65% of testosterone is bound to to sex hormone binding globulin um, and then the rest is essentially bound by albumin. Um, but then in women, we have about 66 78% that's bound to SHBG. So you see, SHBG plays a massive role in regulating levels of you know, male sex hormones um, and female sex hormones throughout the entire body. Um, it does have a higher affinity for androgens like uh, the testosterone and DHT. So sometimes in low SHBG, women can have signs related to estrogen excess, or androgen excess, like I said, but also high estrogen. And that's 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 a really tough place to be asked for. It's like something like PCOS can kind of derive from that. Um, so SHBG is very, very, very important to understand, like, the reality of what it is, because a lot of people see low, a lot of guys see low SHBG to say, Oh fuck, I got more testosterone going around. <laughs> that is not always like a good thing. What we want to have is a lot of testosterone around and optimal levels of SHBG. Cause we want to have that negative feedback loop of not ever having too much available, right? And when you're supplementing with PEDs, you're kind of controlling your own testosterone. You're kind of controlling your own, um, your own levels in there so keeping the shbg stable is going to be very good for really overall health um some things that can help um i don't really use any of these but things that are worth mentioning metformin can help coffee can actually help we have research that suggests coffee can help and that research was done in women um sometimes selective uh uh, serms can help um selective estrogen uh, receptor modulators they can help um, my preferred route is using boron, pulling back PEDs and pulling back stress. Boron usually comes about five milligrams um, for women. You can start at five milligrams uh, or ten milligrams for men. You start anywhere from ten to twenty milligrams um, a day. Twenty is a pretty high dose, but it depends how you know where your where your SHBG at. Like if it's completely tanked. Um, and I recently just got bloods back, and my SHBG was kind of the only thing that was off. It was low. It was like seventeen, so it's pretty low um so I've, I've been using boron to kind of get it back up and i'm actually going to test next week to see where we're at um but yeah it's 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 very 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 important to keep your shbg on track so there's some ways to help
1: last but not least alex kickle says is that how you pronounce his name alex
0: Kickle. yeah
1: says dmp does not target visceral fat i believe you said it does please explain
0: So I don't believe I ever said that it directly targets visceral fat because the reality is it it targets all fat, um, which includes visceral fat. Um, So if I ever said that it targets like directly, like, 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 DMP doesn't go in and target anything other than a Krebs cycle. And then from there, your body kind of dictates where energy is pulled from at what rate energy is pulled from and things of the like. Right. So D, like, like when you, when you intake DMP, it doesn't just go through your body like, Oh, where's the visceral fat or uh, subcutaneous fat, you know, things of the like. Um, it just, it just goes in and where's the Krebs cycle and let's shut it down. Right. Um, so wherever it pulls from there. Now, That being said, um, visceral fat is obviously going to be affected um, by DMP, and we have seen some instances in some professional bodybuilders, I'm not going to say anyone by name, but some professional bodybuilders who are having some issues with visceral fat um, due to maybe junky food choices in off-season, you know, maybe some... Drug of choice abuses that last a little prolonged. That even when they were getting downstage lean, they still had higher levels of visceral fat, which is fascinating. It's really fascinating to see. They actually cleaned it up um, using DMP, and it's not like it made the turn into a world champion, but it cleaned up their look quite a bit. It pulled down some of that because the reality is. You know, your visceral fat protects your organs. This is very, very, very important. And your body wants to hold on to that as much as possible. Like, yeah, there's people that were getting in contest shape that still had pretty high levels of visceral fat for the total body fat percentage that they were at. Um, and DMP was able to help them pull that down. So it does not target visceral fat directly. It helps in getting rid of all fat. And it doesn't really bias where that fat comes from. So, is that the last question?
1: Yeah, that was the last one.
0: Hey, look, we got that done in under a half hour. Fuck yeah, I appreciate you guys' uh, questions. I hope the answers were suitable. As always, I will see you next time.